Anyway, yeah, so there is another nomination to the Supreme Court already. Um, feels like there has been quite a few lately. It's not really the case, actually. It's basically on average. Like, I mean, Bush had four. Um, Obama and Trump Man. had three nominations each. Yeah, crazy, right? Um, yeah, that's really rotating way more than I actually Yeah, thought. it felt like we've had so many in, like, the last five years. Yeah, so, anyways, wow. Mm-hmm. And obviously all three of Trump's nominations made it through, just two of Obama's. So if you remember, Merrick Garland was not appointed. He was blocked. Um, they didn't want to have the hearing to appoint him because he was like in his last year of presidency. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then Trump did the exact same Literally thing with the exact, the exact same, same timeline thing. and yes. they did it as fast as possible. Correct. That's what a majority in the Senate will do for and you. And Republic, <laughs> Republicans were like, you can't do that, Obama. You can't do that in an election year. It's you like the correctly. 17th <laughs> Amendment. Nobody can do that. And then they did the, Yeah. Exactly. Oh, um, boy. But now we do have another Democratic nomination. So uh, Biden nominating Katanji Brown to the Supreme Court here um, in replacement of the retiring Stephen Breyer, who is, I believe, the longest-serving uh, like democratic liberal leaning guy on the bench so he's he's out so she's not even replacing a conservative or anything she is she will continue to be in the minority so is that why he uh retired well was this like i don't want to pull rbg so i'm just gonna retire basically like he he never had the intention of kind of dying in in the role he he was pressured to retire for years because people wanted him out so that you know, a Democratic president could appoint like a young new liberal um, who would be there for decades. Um, so people really pressured him to retire. And what he did instead was write a book. <laughs> <laughs> so people were pretty pissed at him about that, actually, like Democrats. Um, we, we'll get to his book later, but uh, he did eventually retire. And now here we are. OK, did people pressure uh, RBG to retire? I don't know because I don't ever remember hearing that. But wouldn't it be so this? Wouldn't it be the same going. argument? It like, would be there. Yeah, there would be yeah. no difference really. And like I mean, Breyer's. But I guess like younger. she didn't retire. Like she couldn't retire while Trump was president because it would make no difference. Yeah, so. she had to make it. Uh, Maybe but she now would have retired if Biden was in place. Yeah, potentially. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, like I mean, well, I want to talk about Katanji, but let's just chat about Breyer for a little bit. See what he's done for the court. You know what the nation's going to lose in him um and then we can see how justice brown will how old fill is that he? role he's 83 but i'll tell you he doesn't look it he's pretty oh. vibrant does he look younger or older than biden younger here that's his face yeah definitely younger yeah yeah we'll hear from him later he doesn't sound like he's gonna croak any day soon <laughs> um but yeah so he he's been in in uh, the Supreme Court for 27 years. So Bill Clinton originally appointed this guy like back in 94. Um, and in his last few years here on the bench, he's obviously been surrounded by a pretty strong conservative majority. Uh, it's six to three um, on the conservative side of things right now. He's also the most senior, as I mentioned, of, of the remaining Democrats on the bench. Um, and he's been outspoken on quite a few hot button issues, like specifically Roe v. Wade. Um, he said that that should not be overturned. Uh, he made a statement on the matter basically saying that, you know, to overrule in the absence of a compelling reason to reexamine 
the watershed mm-hmm. decision, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it would subvert the court's legitimacy beyond any serious question. So yeah, because you could just re-examine everything. Yeah, like every why are we re-examining? Years. There's no yeah. reason to re-examine it. Yeah. So here we are, and again, it, yeah. it hurts the legitimacy of the court. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, he's also really against gun control. He's pretty strong strands for him. So um, in 2008, there was a uh, a handgun ban that was overturned. So in D.C., they had banned handguns. Um, you couldn't, like, basically carry, carry them concealed or otherwise. And the Supreme Court overruled it, basically saying that, you know, the Second Amendment right to bear arms um, should take precedence in this in this situation. So they overturned it, and it was a 5-4 decision, um, and Breyer wrote the dissent. So he was in the minority with Soder and Ginsburg and, and um, those other yeah. liberals. So he said that, you know, there's simply no untouchable constitutional right to keep loaded handguns in the house in crime-ridden urban areas. Like, there are situations in which... You know, we should be looking at that. Basically, it's not just like a, a given that you have a constitutional right to to have loaded guns. Yeah. Yeah. And like looking at that as well, it was a situation where, you know, they were saying that uh, guns should be protected. You know, it's a crime ridden area. So we need guns for protection. It's not the case of where we should get rid of them to to lessen the crimes or or whatever. But um, yeah, he. He wasn't happy with that, but it was a close decision as well. Now, how it stands is that there is room for gun bans that fall short of, like, a complete constitutional ban. So states and counties could implement things, um, and the Supreme Court, you know, might have to revisit those. It's not like a uh, end-all and be-all. It was just this one D.C. handgun yeah, ban that yeah, was yeah. overturned. Yeah. Um, another one, so the death penalty. That was a big one for him as well. He... Uh, basically said that, you know, and he brought this to light again, if you remember kind of in the last year or so, there's been a lot of botched executions with oh, yeah. some pretty horrific uh, final moments. So he basically is like, the way it's administered, you know, it's sufficiently arbitrary, cruel, unusual, and the court should reconsider the matter. And um, Antonin Scalia has always been pro-death penalty, and Breyer felt that he was more like on the the fence a little bit and that he would be able to convince him you know otherwise and swing the majority against the death penalty he obviously never got that chance because Scalia did pass away um you know before changing his mind on the matter but he had some pretty strong statements like I mean Scalia said that um the constitution placed this decision with the American people and about Briary said that arrogating to himself the power to overturn the decision Justice Breyer does not just reject the death penalty, but he rejects the enlightenment. Wow. Interesting. Um, when you say uh, re-examine, he wanted to re-examine, does that mean that the Supreme Court had already voted on the death penalty? I don't know. I was just wondering because he had previously said that they shouldn't re-examine Road v. Roy, but that mm-hmm. they should re-examine the death penalty. He wanted to so bring it like, back to the surface because of all of the executions where people weren't really dying. Okay, so he so then He's like, he, so him, then he yeah. would consider that a reason to re-examine, exactly. whereas Road v. Roy had no have, reason at this yeah. point to re-examine. Yeah, so there was a slew of federal okay. executions, like That's more fine. executions than an average here. I was just sniffing out for hypocrisy. But he's, <laughs> he's passed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that the case too and so basically how it stands right now with the conservative majority is that likely there will be more executions and there will be 
easier to have than ever before. So uh, Briar certainly didn't didn't really come up successful in that one. Okay, here's another kind of unrelated question. I you may not know the answer to, but isn't that a state's decision? Not a Supreme Court decision. Like, don't states decide on the death penalty? Because I thought some yeah. states don't have it. This would be for an overall federal ban that the states would have to adhere to. And so when Scalia is like, you know, this decision should be in the in the hands of Americans, he they would like be the states. Well, basically. as a closer step to the individual, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, certain states do have it banned, but if the federal government made an overall ban, then all states would have to adhere to that. It's so interesting to me the. Yeah, the death penalty is really an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so that those are really kind of the uh, the big points on like Breyer. Breyer's ideology, essentially. But he also had some other elements that made him a pretty good guy. Um, He was a real champion for diversity in law. He propelled a lot of people to the highest levels in law. Um, And this is a contribution that will last a lot longer than his time on the bench. So, you know, 27 years on the bench, but these people will be lawyers and and judges for life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, Katanji Brown actually clerked for him at the beginning of her career. So... Yeah, it's fitting that she'd be the one to replace him, um, and she is, you know, a diverse figure. She would be the fourth person of color ever to serve in the Supreme Court. And first female of color. Yes, first black woman, that's correct. Sixth woman overall in the history. Um, and she would actually bring the current level to four women on the court at one time. Um, and that there's nine main justices, so almost completely equal really. yeah 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 the most it's ever been yeah it would be four females yeah mm-hmm. um so that's kind of some some briar opinions i did want to chat a little bit about his book now for a second so the title quite dramatically <laughs> is the authority of the court and the peril of how much i love my job oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um again he was criticized for being a bit self-aggrandizing um in light of the fact that people thought he should be retiring. Mm-hmm. And instead he came up with this book that made it look like he was never going anywhere. Um, but obviously he did retire. So kind of a moot point now. Um, but I do want to play a clip for you here of an interview he gives talking about the book and why he wrote it. And I think it uh, really kind of shows what his angle was there, what he was trying to um, elucidate for people. I want them to understand is because I believe it's an important institution for the country. And what we're asking of them, and what I think the document asks of them, is that they will provide support for an institution that must, from time to time, decide things they don't like. In other words, if we were just to do everything that was popular, why not give the job to Congress? We're supposed to decide in instances, and particularly perhaps in instances where this is an unpopular thing. So we have to ask the public to support an institution that will do things they don't like. And sometimes, by the way, in particular cases, I'll think they're right and the court's wrong. So that's a very complicated thing to ask of people. I thought that was interesting. I wonder how many people realize that they are supposed to sometimes be unhappy with what the Supreme Court decides. <laughs> I think probably the majority do well, not view it in that way. That's a thing. Like, 
he actually has another great quote about how their job is to decide between what's right and what's right <laughs> because oh, yeah. yeah yeah they're that's interesting too these decisions are extremely you know nuanced um and interpreting the constitution like i mean people can interpret it in a million different ways you have to look at it historically you have to look at how it applies today and you know what's in the best interest of people and the and the most constitutional the most right thing to do and there will always be like almost half the population who's not happy it is also interesting because like i i personally view the supreme court as like very political so is like, are they really doing that job then when they seem to become, like, so polarized? You're a right justice or you're a left justice, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You know, like, they well very seldom seem to fall in the middle now. <laughs> the very fact that, you know, we talk about conservative majority and and, and whatnot yeah. um, goes to show that their uh, past experiences and their, um, like, deeply held personal ideologies are the basis for how they rule on decisions yeah um but that's the whole reason that you know they have that position because you can't take that out of somebody like there's no robot supreme court you know what i mean yeah um that's part of the decision making and people will always have left-leaning and right-leaning thoughts and opinions and values and and that's representative of the american people in general but also how they get picked right because they get picked by generally someone who is for sure left or for sure Mm -hmm. right based on how they got voted in right so that whole system is kind of well back in the days of the founding father we actually heard this on the the hamilton book but the senate was there to prevent favoritism from presidents um but the way the Senate works is that each state has two representatives, regardless of size or population, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that it's like very, very equal numerically. Um, but that might not be the case when you have maybe hundreds of millions more people who um, would be left leaning than maybe some of the smaller red yeah, states. Yeah, like the cities or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And right now there is a Republican majority, so they can apparently refuse to hold hearings on Merrick Garland until it's like too late. Um, and so yeah, there is there is like political. Uh, blockages, certainly involvement, yeah. But, like, I mean, all these people are still good judges, no matter what, and so it's, like, left or right, it's the best you can do. Yeah. 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 Um, But, yeah, so that that was Breyer. Like, I mean, let's talk about Katanji Brown now, because, again, she's not going to change anything in terms of the majority whatsoever, um, but she is certainly uh, bringing some more diversity and uh, obvious progression to the Supreme Court. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she had a pretty unconventional career history at the beginning. She actually did mention that she wanted to be a judge, but she did not take the typical route to becoming a judge. Like it's very surprising that she even ended up here. Um, so she went to Harvard for both her undergrad and her law degree, which, you know, that's not the surprising part, but, uh, she spent a long time serving as a public defender. And actually mm. defended Guantanamo Bay prisoners. So wow, um, yeah, that's yeah. very interesting. No one else has that experience on the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I mean, often you'll see prosecutors appointed as judges. Wonder or... what she knows. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, or you might see law firm partners who you know would have a lot of money uh, for lobbying for the very people that would appoint them. Yeah. So you see those kinds of people become judges a lot, rather than uh, in this case. Um, but because of her criminal law past, she would have really valuable experience if she was appointed. She would be the only one with criminal defense history and still a minority who have criminal law experience at all. Um, but Alito and Sotomayor and Thomas, they were prosecutors in, in criminal law. 
Um, she's also an expert on federal sentencing policy, and she served as the vice chair of the U.S. Sentencing Commission, where they worked to reduce sentences for drug offenders um, and even backdate some that were, you know, similar to the whole Kim Kardashian thing. If you go to prison for your life for like marijuana yeah. back then, she worked on that commission that that worked to reduce those. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then she went on to become a federal trial judge in the D.C. Circuit. And that's a position that she had to be appointed into as well. And it isn't easy because once you're on the federal circuit, you are in a very small selection of people that might be considered for the Supreme Court in the future. So people tried to block her from getting that as well, like Republicans. Um, you know, she has to go through an, a hearing process as well. And they essentially... Like, their job at that point was to dig into her past and find out a bunch of dirt on her and reasons why she should not be appointed. And they basically came up empty-handed. Hmm. Like, I mean, they they tried, and at the end of the day, only three Republicans voted for her, which is, you know, almost nothing. So it's clear that they unanimously, like, were not in favor of her, but they did not have any strong like arguments as to why. Reason. Yeah, the, the, there was no Fox News talking points that came out of it. Did Brett Kavanaugh have to go through that too? He did. And I'm actually, I'm glad you brought up Brett Kavanaugh because I actually found a clip of him introducing Katanji Brown for um, like a conversation on judging uh, panel. Hmm. And like, I mean, uh, his job was to be nice to her in the clip, obviously, but yeah. it seemed genuine. It seemed like he actually did respect her. So, um, yeah. Well, Interesting. You have to well, have that guy in your corner, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I, I'm going to play that clip for us. Um, I'll, I'll play it right now while we're on the topic. So, yeah, this is Conversations on Judging, and he's just introducing her here as one of the panel speakers. And we also have with us today Judge Katanji Jackson, who is a wonderful newer member of the Federal District Court bench uh, here in the District of Columbia, has already made her mark as a superb judge, uh, someone with a wonderful disposition on the bench who is always well-prepared and thorough in her rulings. And we're going to hear from her and Judge Friedman as they talk about their experiences. Judge Jackson came uh, with many experiences herself as a federal public defender in private practice as a sentencing commissioner on the U.S. Sentencing Commission. Honestly, sometimes those things are pre-written. But yes, anyway. So <laughs> True. But I did think it was interesting because... Um, Obviously, his uh, appointment was, it made the news, let's say. <laughs> um, and it's assumed that she'll rule like very similar to Breyer, who she's replacing. Uh, but people don't actually know that for sure. So they also wanted to dig up like what her opinions might be on yeah. abortion and guns and the death penalty and, and so forth. But um, her past experience as a judge was mostly on actually looking at... Um, branches of the federal government and whether they have too much control or not enough control and looking specifically just at issues of government control. Um, so really nothing related to what she might see um, on the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. So with that taken into consideration and her public statements taken into consideration, she's actually really never said anything about any of those issues. Is that like a lack of, ex like would be, that be considered a lack of experience? Like just based on like, because obviously Supreme Court's rule on more specific things than mm -hmm. other judges. So would, would you consider that a lack of experience or does that have nothing to do with experience? Well, supposedly her credentials basically make her a shoe in for confirmation, like would be obviously confirmed so if it wasn't for the no fact that she was experience. a woman of color. Yeah. <laughs> so there is a kind of a partisan fear that um, people are, are 
basically expecting her to be like very narrowly confirmed. Um, they're hoping to get her in by mid-May, hoping to have the Senate hearings and, and be confirmed by mid-May. So we should know soon. But um, yeah, the case is basically that um, they if she's blocked, they don't have any grounds really to block her without you know, some kind of discrimination being at play because mm-hmm. her credentials um, make her very well qualified. And, and she's made some great rulings on, you know, other things. It's just not, you know, gun control and yeah, yeah, yeah. whether she's pro-choice or, or pro-life. Um, but in her, in her nomination speech after Biden um, brought her kind of into the light there, uh, she emphasized things that are likely to appeal to conservatives. So, her faith, um, you know, she's religious, her long marriage, and she has a lot of police officers in her family, um, her uncles and you know, other people. So she, there is reasons why, you know, in some cases, maybe she would even side uh, with the conservative majority. Yeah. Um, and she said, you know, if I am fortunate enough to be confirmed, my love of country and constitution and commitment to upholding sacred principles uh, will inspire future generations of Americans. So that's her hope. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing, actually, as well, is that um, she is related to Paul Ryan through marriage. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a, I won't even <laughs> get into weird. how because it's confusing. But she's related to him through marriage. And he did speak on her behalf to his Senate counterparts, basically saying that, you know, their politics differ, but her character and integrity is unequivocal. And he favorably recommends consideration. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty helpful. Well, I don't know how much like sway he actually has, but three Republicans voted for her uh, for the D.C. Circuit, and mm-hmm. that would be enough to confirm her. Yeah. Um, even even two, I think, would be enough. So, yeah, that's that's really kind of um, where where that's going to go down to that line. Yeah. Um, but again, like, I mean, I, I tried to look at some of her past cases and, you know, she did have uh, one ruling against essentially Trump's attempt to to block investigation into the January 6th insurrection. And that was almost like the, the closest thing that Republicans were able to latch on to that's like against uh, specifically what they want. Um, but she actually had an even more interesting case in her past where she was um, essentially made a ruling that was unanimously disregarded by all the rest of the D.C. Circuit judges, but then overturned by the Supreme Court. So the mm. Supreme Court just ruled Fair. with her, yeah, yeah, yeah. but every one of her colleagues at the time said she was wrong. And I'll, I'll tell you what this is about. So um, there was a landfill that was built by the U.S. Navy on Guam um, because they had a military base there. And the landfill contained you know, massive amounts of hazardous waste and trash and whatever else. And it was seeping into the surrounding environment. Um, and by that time, like, I mean, the U.S. Navy had long given up control of Guam to civilian authorities. So they had washed their hands of it and just left it there. And then Guam uh, sued the federal government for cleanup charges, like $160 million. And um, the law that they wanted to use actually contradicted itself, basically saying that there's a three-year statute of limitations. Um, so the lawsuit was like doomed from the start because it, it was much you know, later than three years. Yeah. Um, Brown ruled that the statute uh, did not apply in this case. And that's when the rest of her panel judges like threw that out. And then it went to the Supreme Court and they reinstated her original decision. So the U.S. had to pay up. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, interesting, right? Yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
that's really kind of her her past, her history, her credentials. Um, so now she has to be confirmed by the Senate. Uh, that's the last step, and doesn't look like they're you know pulling any shenanigans or anything. So uh, we're expecting to to find out by mid May. Um, and again, like three or or two votes by the Republicans would be enough to to put her over. I think what it is right now is fifty Republicans, forty eight Democrats in the Senate, and uh, two independents who. Like they caucus with the Democrats, but they could vote either way. Um, okay, I have a, a question for you mm-hmm. about this whole situation. So, um, I've heard some people say, like, because Biden, like, basically, I think it was on his campaign trail, said that he is going to nominate the first black mm-hmm. female to the Supreme Court. And so I heard some people say, like, that's really stupid. He shouldn't be saying that because you should nominate the best person for the job and not just be looking at this select right group, the select whatever right group in the population, and that like whatever. So people arguing against him saying that. Did you like read anything about that while you were looking her up? Yeah. Or, like, what do you think? Yeah. Like, I mean, okay, I get the whole best person for the job thing. I think that's mostly just uh, like a racist talking point because. Um, the, the assumption there then is that a person of color would never be uh, the right person for the job. Um, so, like, what is there no people of color who are who are judges who who could do that job? Like, I mean, we've already seen people of color on the Supreme Court. So, you're you're just making an assumption then that there's like no good candidates who would fall into into that background. Um, now, it's a good point that you bring up though because Katanji Brown was actually interviewed by Obama in 2016 for that Supreme Court vacancy. Hmm. And he eventually nominated Merrick Garland instead. But like as early as 2016, she was being considered for the Supreme Court. So my assumption is that... She's long history. My, yeah, my assumption is that Biden had her in mind the entire time. And he announced her like, you know, days after Breyer officially retired. So it was obviously ready to go. Um, so I think that... There was like a qualified person the whole time, and now is just her moment um, versus you know back uh, with Obama. Uh, but again, like I mean, she was considered, and and as I said, when you're on the federal circuit, then you're all already in the the small circle of people that might be considered for it. Funny how that works out because if she would have been picked by Obama, ultimately, would have <laughs> she gone would not through. have. Yeah, she yeah. would not have made it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I have a, I have a clip uh, from Katanji Brown at that conversations on judging uh, panel. So, you know, towards the end, after Brett Kavanaugh has introduced <laughs> her, um, she she answers a question that I think really speaks to her her measured disposition. And um, by all accounts, she seems to be like extremely measured and very thoughtful and detailed when she she makes written opinions um, and strikes like an excellent balance on issues. And, and Breyer was known as somebody that um, really wanted to like bring the court together and and find common ground. And she seems to be in, in many ways the exact same. So listen to this clip. It'll it'll give you a sense of her. Two last questions, one for Judge Jackson. Um, what kind of judge would you like to be remembered as in 20 years wow that was one that was not on the script i'm not prepared to answer that don't tell people Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um wow i think that i would like to be remembered as a judge who was both careful and thorough in my opinions 
Um, I think, as I said, the writing is very important to me. Um, I feel, especially in the age of Westlaw, where people can get on the computer and pull up your opinions, that they represent me in a way. Um, and so I'm a, you know, a, a person who is sort of very organized and thorough in my thought processes, and so I like for my opinions to reflect that. Um, so I think if I could have a legacy, it would be um, sort of careful and thoughtful and thorough, uh, in my opinions. Yeah, so I think that really kind of exemplifies um, her whole essence as, a, as what she'll be on the Supreme Court. It's, it's a great question because um, she, you know, in 20 years will still be on the Supreme Court if she's nominated, very likely. So um, we'll, yeah. we'll see this for a while. I liked her words, careful, thoughtful and thorough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the thing, too. And that's why Republicans had a hard time finding any issues with her in the past, because all of her written opinions were, you know, you couldn't really find any issues with them. They were very well done. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, yeah, this will be, um, you know, very likely the fourth woman on the Supreme Court soon. Cool. Awesome. Like all right. Thanks all right. for teaching me. <laughs> okay, signing off. Bye. <laughs>